Welcome to Doctor Who on Target. Podcast where we discuss the target range of classic Doctor Who novelizations from the 1970s and 80s. Those long ago days where, if you missed Doctor Who on TV, you missed it forever. Unless, of course, you bought the target novelization. So, join us, jump aboard the TARDIS, set the time rotor for late 20th century Earth, and with a wheezing, groaning sound, We'll discuss Doctor Who on Target. Hello and welcome to Doctor Who on Target. This is David in Chelmsford. And this is Greg in Swansea. And this episode we're going to be looking at the Monk Trilogy by Stephen Moffat, Peter Harness and Toby Whithouse. Now, Greg, before you went on holiday, we reviewed Extremists, the first part of the Monk Trilogy. And I think you'd agree with me, we came to a view that it was incomprehensible nonsense. Yes. The payoff being that we'd watched a computer simulation or dream, most of which hadn't occurred. Although the boundaries between what had been real and what had been fake were extremely vague so in theory losing the first part of this trilogy should improve it but now we come to the pyramid at the end of the world which i thought was a slightly better episode in that it was less wasteful of our time are you going to give us your initial impressions of the episode having watched it yes yeah i mean I will say it was a, a slight improvement, I think, over the Monk Trilogy. It, 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 sorry, over Extremis. It did have some um, visual photography. I thought the pyramid, um, uh, the CGI and the filming out there were, were excellent. They looked really great and atmospheric. But again, I, I just I felt, you know, that, that sense at the end of it that confusion what's this mm. really about what what's the point and when you when i'm feeling like that watching a doctor who story i it really doesn't make for a good recipe i think you know mm. it just left me feeling cold it left me feeling sort of a bit disenfranchised from it really. no, I, I do understand that because one of my first gripes with it was that it didn't take long for this episode to challenge what I thought I'd understood from the previous week. Right. So, I mean, to to flesh that out, I thought that we'd witnessed a collective hallucination involving the Doctor, Bill and Nardole, which had begun once they left the Vatican in Extremis. However, the impression I received at the very start of this episode was that only the Doctor had experienced the simulation dream world firsthand, And that he'd described those events to his companions. And so I had to conclude that nothing in Extremis had actually occurred until possibly the very last shot when the Doctor comes to life in front of the vault door. And that also means that the sequence with the misecution, that's my own word for Missy's execution. I I like that, misecution. Might also not have happened. 
but I then took the view that life was far too short to waste wrestling with a deliberately confusing Stephen Moffat plotline. <laughs> <laughs> you, you'll end up in a right door. What was that board game where um, everybody has to put their hands and legs on particular... Is it called oh, Twister? Twister, yes. Twister, Twister yeah. That, it's, it's a Moffat version of Twister <laughs> for the mind. It's not good. But yeah. I, I, I like the fact that you like the spaceship because that's something that I did actually like in the episode. Yeah. And the reason I liked it is it reminded me a bit of the initial setting for the Keys of Marinus. And, oh, it, and it was yes. a clear nod to the original Meddling Monk's TARDIS in Dalek Master Plan. Oh, that's so interesting. So I thought, you know, we've been picking up on these residences with the first yeah. Doctor throughout yeah. the season. And I thought those were another two that were presented to us. Gosh. But what I didn't understand was how the monks were sufficiently powerful to restore the Doctor's eyesight in order to make that bargain with Bill because that sort of power was beyond the Time Lords or at least beyond the Type 40 TARDIS. And I was also desperately disappointed that none of the atonement that I'd read into the blindness came to pass. It was simply a protracted way of placing the Doctor in, the doctor in peril for Bill to mm. save out of this rapidly developed total devotion to him. But yeah. she also placed the rest of humanity in peril through her actions. Yeah, mm. yeah. I, I think um, this this was one of the uh, the big problems that I had with this story, uh, you know, which I could do the previous extremist one, was the things which were going on, they, they, they didn't seem to be genuine peril. They didn't seem to be things which you really felt had some sort of conclusion to them. It was all wishy-washy. It was all, what does this mean? You know, is this going to signify this had happened? It, I, I really found it, you know, so confusing. But I got to the stage where, you know, when, when you're trying to engage with something and you think, I don't really care because I, it, you can't follow it. It's not, it doesn't, have a, a meaning, there's no attachment to it, I think. Mm. And, um, I mean, I, I, it's awful for, for two episodes in a row to be, um, you know, for me to feel so, uh, you know, resentful to them for not, you know, giving me what I expect mm. from Doctor Who. Um, but as I say, you know, from the the episode before, uh, before Extremis, you know, Oxygen, which I, I, I raved about, you know, I thought it was great, this... These two episodes were such a drop in quality. It was, it was almost as if they were a different program. Mm, mm. I agree with can you. I, yeah. Were... Can, I, can I just ask a little bit more about? Because it, it, it really, I do like the little things that um, have been planted in the little reminiscences of the past, and you were talking about, you know. And what, what is the one with the Daleks' master plan? Say that. Well, me. the monk, the meddling monk, who yeah. obviously is a prototype for these monks that have invaded Earth. But right. the meddling monk, the Time Lord, in the Dalek Master Plan, episode 10, which is one of the ones that we can see because it survives, right. is set in Egypt. And oh, the monk's yes. TARDIS disguises itself as a pyramid. Ah, uh, of course. See? So the monks and the pyramid have been seen in a first Doctor story. 
That's very clever. I like that. Oh, I didn't pick up on that. I will say I didn't pick up on that. That was that's lovely. Uh, Sorry, Debbie, interrupted you. Go ahead. So, having praised the monks slightly, there, I think we better get back on track and say that um, there were so many inconsistencies in those characters because this Mm. whole business about having to give your consent to being saved. I don't know if you've ever done it. I've certainly done it. But when you install a new piece of software and it tells you if you agree with the licensing agreement and you don't bother reading it, you just tick it. No. Yes. And why did the monks need... It was all very perfunctory. And why did the monks need to be loved? You know, apparently they needed to be loved. But I don't know why. I don't know why. And given that so much has been made of Bill's sexual orientation this season, mm. what's not impossible, I can't think that the monks detected the same motivation or loving for the Doctor as would have been the case had they applied that test to, I don't know, say Rose Tyler. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Well, well, of course, this this is something, this is another one of the, the, the ambiguities which don't really make sense in, in this series of scripts. Uh, because they're talking about love, and all, as we all know, there, there are different kinds of love, you know. And, of course, you know, there is love, as you were saying, for a partner and sexual love. And what sort of love do they mean? What Can't they specify what that particular essence of love it is that they I want? Because it's divine love. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But but, a... but she quite clearly does have an extremely strong attraction to the Doctor. I mean, yeah. we've seen it many times before in Doctor Who where the Doctor seems to form intense relationships with plenty of characters over the years yeah. who sacrifice themselves based on a far weaker bond. Yeah. You know, yeah. many have only just met him. Yeah, so yeah. we can probably forgive that, but it didn't make an awful lot of sense to me, given Bill's backstory. That's no, all I'd no. say there. No. I, th- I think the other unfortunate thing about this episode, and it really was unfortunate, was that they'd had to make an edit to it because they had referenced in the original a lone terrorist as a potential driver for the doomsday clock being pushed towards midnight. And, oh. of course, given the events that week, it would have been yeah. extremely poor taste yes. to have let that reference stand. But what they did let stand was the Doctor's improvised explosive device, right. which which is very unfortunate. Now, I'm not saying yeah. that you can sugarcoat everything in Doctor Who, because it is, after all, fantasy. Yeah. But they made a... I don't know if you were aware, but they actually made a... An edit to uh, Robert of Sherwood. Yes, that's right. Because yes. it featured a decapitation. And there was an, an awful and news there story that week. the news that week. Yeah, so, yes, perhaps right. perhaps a little bit insensitive there, but there's no reasonable way the programme makers could have known that that would happen, that Manchester no. would happen at the end of that week of transmission. Yeah. So, so, yes, that was that was... Unfortunate. Now, there was another thing actually in there, and as you know, I'm a very literal person. And when I saw that City Hall in London, which is the home of the London Assembly, was doubling as some sort of biological research facility in Yorkshire, I became very concerned indeed. (laughs) 
Although, in truth, this is probably one of the smaller dis suspensions of disbelief that the story required to engage with it. But, uh, oh yes, another another slight callback to the first Doctor. Did you notice that the combination lock on the chamber in which the Doctor was trapped? In, inside the, the, the chemicals? Inside the, the, yeah. inside the lab, yeah. inside the laboratory. That yeah. struck me as, as being very old school and perhaps yeah. from the makers of the same technology who made the Celestial Toy Makers trilogic game. It did seem oh. very familiar and, and very oh. low-tech for yes, such yeah. a, an important establishment. That's interesting because I did pick up on its incongruity, and I did, but now you've said that, actually, there could be a very, very good reason for that, isn't there? Well, there could be. Or perhaps yeah. we're just struggling to, to make the connections, but I think they are there. I think they yeah. are there. Yeah. But actually, oh. actually, I have to say, though, the, 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 the bit inside the lab, having said it was wrong for the Doctor to blow it up, the bit inside, the, the scenes inside the lab were actually the high points of that episode for me. Mm. I actually really enjoyed them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there, there was some uh, tension there, wasn't mm. there? There was some, uh, you know, there uh, was drama. Some peril. Peril, yeah. yeah. There was drama, there was mm. that sense of urgency, there was, uh, it felt like something you could engage with. I, I felt, you know, it, it picked up a bit on there. It's really, where, where the story was really letting down, as you say, we're on these um, sort of wishy-washy bits with what's that about, what's that, you know, as you mentioned about the, you know, the reason they must give consent, you know, it's very vague, very yeah, vague. Why? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. What what was it? I mean, I mean, I we will have more of an idea, um, you know, when we come to the to the last episode, of me, which we'll be talking about soon. But um, yeah, it does give a little bit more explanation. But after time in this, it doesn't it doesn't really make sense. And and even then, with the reason for that um, for, for that consent, you know, it's it's not it's nonsensical. It's it's a do you know, it's been interesting. On holiday, um, I've been reading um, a big biography of Alfred Hitchcock, mm. and he was criticised a lot in his career for him. I think you actually mentioned this before, David, the MacGuffin. Yes, the MacGuffin from Horror yes. Fang Rock. Yes, that's right, yes. And it was quite interesting to read about this because um, the whole gist of this MacGuffin was... It doesn't matter what it is. It's not important. When you get to the end of it, it's of complete irrelevance. It just needs to be there to drive the story along mm -hmm. and what's going to be there. But, of course, in the hands of Alfred Hitchcock, we were seeing um, a completely different story develop towards it. So that when we got to the MacGuffin, we didn't care. We, mm -hmm. it, it didn't matter what the MacGuffin was. We'd just been through... Whereas... I. Really don't think the same level was happening in these stories, you know. Right. It's, uh, yeah, yeah. Who I, I think it was all all McGuffin. That's the problem. Who who directed this one? Um, oh. Just checking, just checking. Yes, yeah. I'm not quite directed sure. Directed by Daniel. Does that say Neaton? Oh, he's a new one to the Neatheim? Doctor Who fold. I think. Isn't time. Well, anyway, oh, I, I think we can safely conclude that he wasn't Alfred Hitchcock. <laughs> <laughs> I'd agree with you on that one, absolutely, yes, yeah. 
I mean, coming well, back to the lab, yeah. which, as I said, I did quite enjoy for the reasons that you've already outlined, it was it was slightly worrying that a, a laboratory with such a toxic substance had very few sort of safety protocols in place. So yeah. even more worrying that it looked a bit like City Hall, as I said earlier. But, yeah. Um, what did we... I didn't find much of merit in Erica's co-worker, Douglas. No, no. Someone that was very interested, actually, because the actor who played him is a real-life doctor. I believe he's a general practitioner. Really? So if anyone could handle a deadly virus, it should have been him. <laughs> but I did think that going out on the lash on a school night was just asking for trouble. Yes, yeah. He certainly absolutely. got his comeuppance, though. I'll give him that. Yeah, but he seemed, yeah, I mean, there wasn't an awful lot of engagement um, with, with, from him at all, really. Was there? He seemed to be a bit of a walking zombie right through it. I don't know if... Uh... Well, that's because he, yes, he'd, he'd had a particularly hard session the night before. Yeah. And he hadn't phoned in sick. No, he'd no. He'd come to work and unleashed hell, frankly, yes, on the world. Yeah. And that was that was unfortunate. But I was going to ask, what did you think of little Erica herself? Did we I, th I thought she was excellent. Really? I thought I thought she was really good, and um, I thought it was. And this is where Doctor Who, you know, especially um, New Who, can be so um, just so progressive mm -hmm. and, and right in its choice of characters, mm -hmm. in the way that it. Um, you you know embraces different people different um different mm. sexes different uh you know sexualities different um races different uh you know um what, what do you call it sort of you know classes if you like in life right. you know apparently it's a classless society now isn't it so i was struggling with that word then but uh you know and mm. i i thought she was great and i thought it was wonderful the way she just she was just acting a part and she was a person and um you know her um you know the fact that she was uh you know i don't know what the correct term of for diminished it. stature oh yes yeah i think that she you know it wasn't alluded to no and i i thought that was really great and well, refreshing yes yeah. I, I can see where you're going with this because if you felt it was just a bit of tokenism yeah. from the casting director or were still that her size would in some way be key in rescuing the doctor from the laboratory you know in classic who all the time people yeah. used to shimmy through ventilator shafts yes. in order to pull off impossible rescues yes. so had that been yeah. her function i think that would have been absolutely awful but as you said she was yeah. just a character she was yes. a, a, this top biological research scientist yeah, and we yeah. could accept her. Yeah, absolutely. Because it was a very committed and and engaging performance from the actress concerned. Yeah, mm. it was very good. Very good. I, I I was pleased with that, and I I'm so happy that a lot of um, examples of this can be found in New Who because let's you know we have to face up to the fact that sometimes in old Who you know some of the older prejudicial views and stereotypes and uh, things pop up now and again quite a lot, right. which we gloss over because of our love for it, you know, I know. But but in New Who, I mean, last season we had, um, there was a profoundly deaf character, wasn't there? Mm. And I think it was last season, wasn't it? So long ago. Mm. And in that, that 
great story, the one under the, under the flag. Was it before the flag? Was it there, was, there was one where the person who could lip-read was the only person who could interpret a key piece of information. That's it, that's it, yes, yeah. And I thought that was a great example mm. as well of that. I really, of, of inclusion, yes. Of inclusion, that's it. Oh, thank you, David. That's, that's the, the word I was looking mm. for. That's the correct term, yeah. Mm. So that, that was great. I was really pleased was with that. As you say, going towards the end of the episode, you know, where we had this, this a slightly more dynamic feel to it, you know, with that, well, it's just a classic situation. There's peril, as you said, you know, trapped in a lab. The doctor's got to make choices. It, it was, you know, it was it was picking up. But then um, we go back to the old monks, don't we? What did mm. you think of that then, David? Which ones? The monks? Yeah, when we go back to the monk, they, they, we're inside the pyramid. Oh, after. that's right. And they are able to make this deal with Bill, or do, Bill is able to make the deal with them, I should say. Yeah. But we don't know where they drew the power from. And we also, we come to realise in the following episode that they've actually tried this trick multiple times and have been repelled every single time they've tried an invasion so they're not actually phenomenally powerful and probably less powerful than time lords anyway and i suppose if we were more engaged we would say well we don't actually care where they got the powers from to restore the eyesight but it was a bit convenient and it was a bit of a shame that that none of the layers that i'd imagined could be drawn into it or the inferences that i'd drawn from it came to pass Mm. but of course i mean actually i've just thought of this as well because sight in this episode is extremely important isn't it because erica and i've just had a look at the actress who played her is called rachel denning so erica had a bit of a a sight difficulty herself because despite being a top biological scientist she really needed to take better care of her reading spectacles or oh. at least keep a spare pair at work. Yes, Douglas, yes. Yes, it's funny how these, these trivial... But I suppose that's that's good, actually, the fact that a trivial yeah. occurrence, like the breaking of a pair of glasses, can just snowball yeah. and escalate to a yeah. point where the world's on the absolute brink of calamity. Oh well, David, I, I've been there myself many a time. I, I, one of these people who just forgets that I need glasses, and then I, I don't take them with me, and I spend the day in a calamity of, uh, you know, one thing after another, not being able to see the price on things, the size of things, <laughs> to read this, to see who's up, you know, on my phone. It's, uh, yeah, but no, no, all joking aside. Yeah, it, it was interesting that those. Um, you know, linked up very, uh, very tightly like that. Well, there was they? a conversation, wasn't there, in one of the earlier episodes when when um, Bill and the Doctor were discussing consequence of action. Mm. I think it was mm. in the one with the monster under the Thames, the oh. Sarah Dollard episode. Anyway. Oh yes, yes, yeah. But you, you know, the slightest. I think the first Doctor says, "Every choice we make changes history." I think he says that yeah. in the Aztecs, actually, and it's true. Yeah, yeah. And it's true. And yeah, it, it, know, it is true, isn't the it? The crushing of the glasses and and uh, Douglas's night out on the lash yes, nearly yeah. brought the world to an end. Yes, yeah. It's scary to think about that. It is, <laughs> it is. No, it, it is. It's so surprising. But I, I was a fan of Erica. 
I did like yeah. her, and I shall be very sad if she doesn't return in a future episode because I thought she and the Doctor had the makings of a really good double act. Yes, there was, there was it, chemistry, wasn't there? There was chemistry, yes. I, I liked that. Again, again, that whole scene in there, taken outside of the rest of the episode, the, 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 the parts in the revolutory, I, I don't know, they had that more of a feeling of old style who they mm. had the sort of elements of story and structure and um you know you know which which make the sort of the program exciting i think mm. well i'll go out on a limb here and suggest that they were sufficiently straightforward for you to engage with them well yeah that i think that that's probably what it is i mean i mean there are many Moffat episodes, you know, which I, I, I've said before, you know, I, I think he's a genius. It's just that when we get to episodes like this, I, I struggle to sort of justify that, then, you know, it's a, because, but I, I really think these are some of the poorest episodes he's written. I, I, there are other ones. Um, what was the, what were the one the season finale where um, um, Winston Churchill comes back at the end, you know, and the whole it's like we're in a parallel earth. Oh, I forget. I, I remember was that it was it um, something like about Demons Run or something, wasn't it? Yes, that's right. It was about and yeah, Bonner and there was comes Rip, back River and Song. Everyone comes back and yeah, yeah. His wife comes back and was it, was it was that the Pandorica opens? I. No, it was know. it wasn't that one because I know that was Matt Smith's first season, but it was a, a, a season or two after that. I know River Song was. Was it the one where River Song was born? That's it. Pond. Yes, I think that's the one, and that again sort of wandered off into all these um, strange areas where nothing makes sense, and uh, that was an. These monkey episodes have reminded me a bit of that, you know, and I think I think he's dropped a notch with these mm. because I don't remember feeling as disengaged with those ones as I do with mm. this, you know. I, I remember the markedly for being sort of going, Oh dear, you know, there was no need for all that <laughs> complication. But I, I still, you know, came away thinking, Oh, there we are, that's Doctor Who and I've enjoyed it. But as these ones have been, like I said, that word I used earlier, disenfranchised with it, mm. you know, feeling, oh, you know, I'm just not connected with this at all. Well, you need to but, feel entertained, don't you, at the end? that That's that's the vital ticked box that uh, Stephen Moffat should be trying to achieve. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And if it's left you not entertained or worse, still confused, then mm. that box doesn't merit a tick no but perhaps in his defense i'm going to suggest that the quality of his ideas are excellent yeah in fact they're so good that they're completely beyond realization on the small screen because they they always seem to come a cropper don't they when he has these big cinematic visions i suppose the occasion when that didn't happen was the 50th anniversary episode which had big things in it and uh was very cinematic and actually really nailed it that's really interesting you've mentioned that actually because the day um, of the doctor isn't it the day of the The day of the doctor yes he now that is a prime example of where as you said he nailed it you know that Mm. i mean that was just fabulous and it's quite interesting that um 
you know, I know people at the time are saying, is it so great because we caught up in the 50th anniversary fever and excitement? Mm. But I've watched it again a couple of times since, you know, on my own and, and with a, a group of people, and it still holds up as being fabulous, you know? It's yes, a, I think the word to describe that one is magical. Yes, absolutely. It is magical. It's a, but the magic in this one... Yeah, absent. Absent. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Yeah, the the wanted uh, the wanted not uh, fired this one. I'm afraid. Mm. Would you? So, where are you looking at scoring this uh, this middle episode of the trilogy? Right. Well, I have to give it some credit for being better than the previous week. Yeah. But it's not even challenging some of the finer examples of Doctor Who that we've seen this season. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think I am going to award it quite a low score. And the score yeah. I am going to award it is purely for the scene set in the laboratory, which I thought were good. But yeah. nevertheless, I'm still only awarding it four out of ten. Oh, gosh. That's a... That's such a low score, isn't it? I I know that um, I scored the previous episode of three, didn't I? We both did. We both did, didn't mm. we? Yes, we both did. And I'm I'm just completely with you on this one, David. Um, as I say, I love the cinematography of the the pyramids and the CGI, and that was a and the laboratory scenes were, you know, a, a big pickup from the rest of the story, but. I think I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna copy your mark and say four out of ten as well. Mm. You know it's sad it hurts to say oh. it for Doctor Who, doesn't it? But it, it gives me no pleasure whatsoever. No, no, it's not what I want to do. No. It, it takes me back. Yeah, it takes me back to what was the mark? Latest one last year, Sleep No More. Oh, that hurt so much. It was so... And oh. and that... Oh, dear. That See, I, I'm going to be controversial here and say I oh. quite like that. Did you really? Because I'm a big fan of the main actor in it, whose name is escaping me, Reese Shearsmith. Uh, Shearsmith, yeah. Yes, Shearsmith. <laughs> yes, Reese Shearsmith, That course, That found yeah. footage episode I thought was quite a good construct. Um, oh. But I can see, oh, it was Mr. Sandman, wasn't it? That was yes, right. that's right. And the that's sleeping right. pods, like they have in oh. an alien film. Gosh. That's right. I, that's I did quite enjoy that one. I would at least well. have scored that a six. Well, well, well. We'll have to chat about this one another time. Because, yeah, it was controversial. <laughs> it, it split the audience right in half, didn't it? I mean, mm-hmm. I do remember a tweet Mark has um, put out after it saying... Thank you all for being so lovely slash horrible about my episode. Oh, <laughs> it must so, be, yes, it must be awful for the writer because it must be like somebody having a go at your child or something, you know, yes, your, the, yeah. your creation. Yes, yeah, mm. yeah. So we it, wouldn't it, do it lightly, I think that's what we're saying. No, and I, I have to say, even though I'm being so derogatory about um, the, the, well, it's the writing, really, isn't it? Mm. You know, I have to say, I well, I've said it many a time, I, I think Stephen Moffat is a genius, you know, and I, I utterly adore his writing most of the time. But 
these ones have left me somewhat cold. Um, David, shall we move on to the I think final? We have to. I think we have to move on to the lie of the land. The lie of the land. The lie of the land by I call I called him Toby Whithouse. Yes. I thought he was yeah. called Whitehouse, but he doesn't have any e in his name. I see. No, no. I I I've made that mistake previously. I thought he was Whitehouse, but it is with Toby Whithouse. 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 Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, this one was hugely topical, in that mm. it tackled fake news. It did. <laughs> and it, it seems didn't. that. It seems that those extremely powerful monks had been using their Photoshop skills to graft themselves into key events in Earth's history, including the moon landing, which, as every Doctor Who fan knows, is only a visit to a giant egg. Oh, don't <laughs> mention that again, no. <laughs> oh, dear. And for reasons that are far divorced from sense, the Doctor is seen acting as their propagandist-in-chief. Madness, don't Man. get it. So, so what did you were you fooled? Did you think the doctor had gone to the dark side? What did you make of that opening <laughs> sequence? Well, I, I didn't, it, right? I, I've only just watched it just before we started recording, so uh, we, we, we're quite behind, but, I, but we were going to hot off the skillet then. Your view, a hot off the skillet, yeah. And um, I thought it, it was absurd. I, I thought it was because we we're talking now about uh, coming up on that fake regeneration, mm. which I found extremely irritating, because regeneration, you know, should be a special special moment, and to right. just chuck it away for the sake of a joke to trick someone to see are they really so what? Uh, so so Bill, you know has this incredible faith and trust in that in the Doctor, but the Doctor can't tell if she really is to be trusted. I, I find that all rather nonsensical, really. And um, I just, um, I really didn't think much of it. It wasn't engaging me. And what, what I got written on my notes here, I was scribbling away while I was watching it, was uh, it reminded me hugely, it, well, this whole story, The Lie of the Land, Yes, hugely topical, as you said, David, with the fake news, and very prescient, I think, with some of the subjects going on in there, which we'll talk about in a moment. But unfortunately, some of the the narrative um, elements of it were very derivative of previous Doctor Who right. stories. Now, you could say an homage to other Doctors, because... As you pointed out, you know, we had um, the, um, the Medlin Monk one, we've had um, mm. references to Susan, we had the reference to the, the the combination lock, and we've had many others. Obviously. Have you noticed how every single corridor this season looks like the Dalek City on Skyro? It's almost no, deliberate. I think every time oh, they go my... down a corridor, I think, ah, that's the Dalek City on Skyro. <laughs> Good gosh. I know you've said it. There's I'm a lot of... Look... There's a, well... That those were sort of standard space corridors because I suppose the same sorts of corridors appear in the Sensorites as well, which mm. is another big spaceship-based adventure. Yes. But yes, no, there are definite nods yeah, to the past. Yeah. Now, well, and I, this one particularly is the um, this is season four now, isn't it? And um, you're gonna, this is my terrible memory coming in here now. Um, 
But we have this is the one where the master has the doctor in a cage and um, the, the companion. What's the companion's name there, David? Oh, what's is that name? one Martha? Martha. Is it yes. the one where the wizened David Tennant doctor's living in a parrot cage? That's the one. That's oh, the yes. one. Yes. Isn't this very, very reminiscent of that, do you think? Yes, I, I think it is. I think yeah. it is. But I, I would like to, I would just like to say something positive about the episode, just for a okay. second. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I actually found the opening of the episode when the Doctor was doing the voiceover on the propaganda film. Yeah. And there was a, a shot of an amphibian crawling onto dry land. And he had this wonderful delivery of those lines that were almost, I don't know, is Attenborough-esque a word? But they were like a nature film, weren't they? Yes. The monks have been there to give mankind a helping hand since the very beginning. It was this lovely brown voice. So when Peter Capaldi gives up Doctor Who, he may well be able to do BBC Nature documentary voiceovers. Because they oh, were absolutely, his delivery was absolutely in keeping with that wonderfully familiar style that we all enjoy so much on yeah. those fantastic natural world documentaries. Yes. Now, yeah. I too want to pick up on the regeneration. And right. I absolutely agree with you that regeneration is a special moment. It happens when there is no other viable alternative other than death. Yes. It's yeah. not a it's not a um something that should be entered into lightly. No. A regeneration. No. And I, I think we'd already all worked out that it was a false one anyway, yes. because it was only really there to add an additional layer of thrill to the coming soon trailer. Yeah, yeah. And the idea that it was all part of some test for Bill. Mm. Uh, that was it, pretty it, perfunctory because if you remember in the previous scene She'd just been tested by Nardole. Yes. Yeah, you're absolutely right. This this is where there's... Do you know, it's quite interesting. When we were talking about the previous episode, uh, the Pyramid episode, and you praised Moffat for what you said. I think you said his His ideas are so good that they can't be realised on a small screen. That's it. Now, when you said that... I thought that's a perfect um, description of what I find can be a problem with Stephen Moffat's script sometimes. And it took me straight to this episode because throughout this episode, I was struck by that very um, concept which you, you, you discussed there was right throughout it, we have these fabulous ideas, these huge sweeping understandings of politics and society and history which were there, but he's got 30 seconds to realise them on a limited budget. Mm, (laughs) And and it doesn't, they don't always They don't always hit the spot, do they? No, no. no. Maybe I'm being too too critical of him, because maybe, I mean, you you know, I mean, maybe you you should forgive him for trying and putting these things up there. But it's like that opening scene that you talked about. I'd actually just forgotten about that, that it was really, really good, actually, wasn't it? It was quite convincing for a moment. I I enjoyed, yes, I did enjoy the idea that the monks had had a hand in evolution. 
yes, and, and, yeah. and bringing the first life onto dry land. I thought that was, yes, that yeah. was good. But I also agree with you that a regeneration should not be thrown away for a, a sort of um, a joke, a gag. Yeah, you know yeah. that the guns were mostly loaded with blanks. Yes, and you yeah. know we are looking at Dave here. Uh, yeah. well, that certainly explained why the Doctor's assassination was so bloodless and without consequence. Yes, yes, yeah. It's um, do you know it's quite interesting though that um, you know this has been thrown away because what what struck me was um, everybody complained when um. Peter Capaldi regenerated, you know, or sorry, when Matt Smith regenerated into Peter Capaldi because we didn't actually see it, did we? It right. was a flash. And I'm wondering, because we have heard rumours that this Peter Capaldi's regeneration is going to be very different, we've heard, mm. I think, the rumours are. Mm. I'm wondering, as Peter Capaldi said to uh, you know Stephen Moffat, you know, I, I didn't get the lovely gold flaming like bits like everybody else has had. Ah. I'll, do you know what I mean? I'll have a bit of that. Because that then is um, a sort of, uh, what, what are you calling it, a bit of a throwback to earlier stories as well, isn't mm. it? So you could view it as a little homage as well. Well, you could also view it as Peter Capaldi having sufficient power and influence on the show still to insist on his mini-regeneration moment even if yeah. you can't have the full-blown change. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, I, I think is, uh, yeah, <laughs> I think is, I mean, the fact that we're going to be getting, you know, original Cybermen. I mean, mm. he must have, he pushed that. Oh, he must me? have done. He must he, have. Because that, that first, when they were interviewed with Deep Breath uh, in the cinemas after we were watching that, and, Stephen Moffat was absolutely aghast when he said, I want the original Cybermen to come back. And you can tell it was no, this this was a bit of a scrap. I think it's on YouTube. I think, you know, and I thought, ooh, there's going to be fireworks going between these two. But clearly, Peter Capaldi has won, hasn't he? Mm, he must have done. Yeah. He must have done. But before we leave the yes. mini regeneration, the other yeah. frustration that I have with it was that if the Doctor can trigger a mini-regeneration that, that stops short of changing his physical form, yeah. could he not simply have done that to renew his eyesight? Ah, oh, you see, this this is the thing, isn't it? You know, that you're picking up on the things there which, which are irritating me because this is what happens when you've got these scripts which are going... Do you know, and blaming... Stephen Moffat, but actually this is Toby Whithouse, isn't it? Well, it is, but you get the feeling that he's been given quite a, a constraining brief because he's got right. two episodes from different writers that he's seeking yeah. to conclude. Yes, yeah, yeah. I, I I, agree with you completely about this regeneration. You know, I know we went off on a little discussion about maybe it's an homage and so forth, but no, I mean, it's it's a waste of something, which I don't like that. That special moment should be conserved for that special moment. And, I mean, we know with, with um, you know, David Tennant, when that golden flash came you know, at the end of that Dalek story. I mean, Doctor Who was number one for the week, wasn't it? It was like everybody was excited to see, oh, 
he's regenerating. And that was a little bit of a cheat there, wasn't it? Mm. But, but at, at least, least he... there was a sensible resolution to it. it. At least it and... spawned another doctor for to look after Rose. Well, yeah, but also, of course, he had been genuinely shot by a Dalek. Mm. So, you mm. know, it, it's a sort of genuine drama, genuine mm. injury, consequences and so forth. So I can, uh, you know... In, yeah. in uh, fact, that, in the very first David Tennant episode, I remember yeah. that the baddie cut his hand off and he just he, grew one back, didn't he? He did, Do you remember? The, yes. Was it the Sycorax? The Sycorax, yes. He cut yeah. his hand off. Yeah. And that occasion he said, oh, there's a little bit of residual regeneration energy. You know, That's never right. cut a Time Lord's hand off when he's still buzzing, really. Just, just pop back. <laughs> that and, was and that was a bit yeah. thrilling when that happened. It was, it was. It was a really I mean, good, yeah. yeah. Really good and I loved that, um, the fact that they were called the Sycorax, because you, you know the reference, obviously, David Street. Oh, it's uh, Caliban's mother, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah, and I love that. Sycorax. Yeah, the witch. Sycorax, fabulous, isn't it? I, I love that when I heard that. <laughs> Um, yes, but coming back to this episode, um, so apart from the, the, the little um, sort of, uh, you know, you know, we like we like that. What, what what did you call it? The sort of uh, propaganda film, I suppose. I, isn't it? Yes, I thought the propaganda film was quite fun, but I thought the mm. regeneration was purely a marketing ploy to, to trick the yes. audience. And the, the other thing, yeah. we could call it homage if we were being kind, but we could just call it plain copying, although you are allowed to plagiarise yourself, I suppose. Yeah. But the, the, the whole prison ship set up struck me of two other things. Firstly, there was a 2013 movie called Escape Plan, which starred Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Now, right. they, now they were stuck on a prison ship, and the whole idea was... It was supposed to be impenetrable, and funny enough, they did manage to escape in the final reel. Right. But then, even more recently than 2013, Stephen Moffat, yeah. he had the last episode of Series 4 of Sherlock called The Final Problem, in which yeah. Holmes's sister is imprisoned in a transparent cell on an oh. inescapable island. Really? With only a Stradivarius for her amusement. Is oh, And of course I was know, thinking here of Missy and her piano in the vault. Yes, I yeah. I assume she had the music for similar therapeutic reasons, you know? <laughs> but I mean, if you can't copy yourself, although I did yeah. actually think the Sherlock Island was a bit of a copy of the Sea Devils, but there you go. <laughs> but if you can't even plagiarise your own work without someone picking you up... Things have reached a pretty poor pass, haven't they? Yeah. He, he pro he's been overworked by the BBC. This is what's happened. And he's, he's probably put one script down, picked the other one up, and, uh, you know, there's been some confusion. And <laughs> the ideas have seeped one into seeped the other. from one to the other, or he's just reusing the set. I don't know. Yeah. But there, did, well, there, there was the whole, that whole sort of militaristic prison setup really did resonate with that final problem Sherlock episode. It truly did. Mm, mm. Yeah, yeah. 
But I bought her up, I have bought her up now, and Missy. Right. Now, we like Missy. Oh, we, I, I'm going to go as far as to say, I, personally, I love Missy. Mm. I absolutely, the moment she came on in this episode, it was a different uh, scenario. It was a different feeling. It was a, it was a depth. It was a playfulness. There was a nastiness. There was a, there was everything there. She, the, the acting um, from Michelle Gomez is absolutely top notch. And um, she was just taking those words and rolling them around and working us, wasn't she? She was, I loved it. The way she was draping herself over the grand piano. She was, she was tying her words in with the little twinkles of the keys, wasn't she? And, and uh, it was just everything. She She's brilliant. I love Michelle Gomez. I think she... For me, you know, is the master after Roger Delgado. Right. Praise indeed. Mm, yeah. Praise what indeed. about you, David? I know you. Well, like absolutely. I mean, we have to say that the highlight of this segment was the performance of Michelle Gomez. Yeah, who yeah. I have to say hasn't got me fooled for one moment with her crocodile tears. <laughs> You know, Missy is about yeah. as likely to reform as I am to run a sub two hour marathon, which, by the way, would make me world champion. So that's not going to happen. So there you have it. But we've we've said before she's a a great character. Yeah. But yeah. Do we forgive her inconsistency with other incarnations of the Master? And I say this because I was speaking to a friend who's very knowledgeable about classic Who. Right. And he saw Michelle Gomez's performance as psychopathic in a way that, say, Roger Delgado or Anthony Ainley just were not. Would you right. would you agree with that observation? Well, it's interesting because the, when you said psychopathic, I expected the following words to be John Sim. Mm. Because that's who... See, see, John Sims' version of the Master, especially when it got to um, what was the final Christmas one when he calls oh, it yes. the end of time? Is it the end of time? Possibly. No, I, I, it could I have forget. been knocked three times. For yes, that. that yeah, I that. I know what I know. The one you mean, yes. Yeah, yeah. He was awful in it, you know, and <laughs> um, oh, he was, uh, and it wasn't, you know. The, the actor's fault, I believe. I, I don't know how part, I suppose partly it is. It's his interpretation of it. But it, that was all madness. And it just didn't seem to be the master. It wasn't. Roger Zilgado, you know, he was cunning. He was charming. He was um, cold. He was calculating. Like you say, no, you look at what we had with Michelle Gomez earlier in this episode. She again, you know, what she had me on the edge of my seat uh, with was she kept saying about um, the person and she was making out she didn't know it was Bill, whereas I think she did know, (laughs) you know, she was making out that the person who had let them in had to have this awful thing done and their brain wiped out. She was getting such delight with that, wasn't she, and pretending she didn't know who it was. And 
it was done very subtly. So it wasn't it wasn't done with um, a sort of psychopathic um, madness and frenetic, um, you know, ranting of someone mm. like that. It, it was very subtle, cold, calculating, mm. and she was very. I don't know. Can I say the word debonair in the way in the way her behaviour was? I don't, I don't know if that's the right word, but um, no. I, I mean, what do you feel, David? Well, it was certain, she was certainly quite conniving, wasn't she? Conniving, yes. Because as yeah. you rightly say, she knew full well who had let the monks in, and she knew full well that her words would disturb and upset the doctor. Yes, I'm sure yeah. she knew that. Yes, and yes, that yeah. uh, last David Tennant story was called The End of Time. I've just oh. gone to the trouble of looking it up. Oh, well but, done. But, but yes, it's true. I, I thought that was a wonderfully subtle, wicked, I suppose is a good word, but wicked oh. in the pejorative sense rather than meaning well good. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, or wicked even in the in the original um, Shakespearean sense, you know, from Macbeth, isn't it? Because we... Uh, uh, doesn't Wicked have a much more horrific, menacing meaning mm. originally, doesn't it? It's mm. become less of a, mm. you, you know... Less, it's uh, almost uh, become a badge of honour, hasn't it, being Wicked? Y- yes, that's right, yes, being Wicked. Whereas, of course, oh, yeah, no beautifully chosen words you have there, Dave. But I think that sums her up mm. ideally. I, I, I can't see any fault with Michelle Gomez, even if some of the... Uh, some of the writing wasn't good enough. She can just take it and she'll 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 move with that mm. to bring it into character. I think you mm. know, which is uh, I I really can't see enough of her. And that was one of the things I loved in the last um, the opening ones of the last season. Those Dalek ones. There was so much um, between her and. Uh, Jenna Coleman, mm. which is just delicious to watch, you know, it's just lovely, you know, she's got her hanging up with a rope ready, you know, sharpening a spike and chatting away to her, and I just love Michelle. Well, she's, so, yeah, she's, she's um, inclined to torment, isn't she? Yes, yeah, yes. yeah, and, and I think she has, I think, well, the problem is the 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 what the one person who I think absolutely stunned me as the master was of course Derek Jacobi mm. in that um, I'm trying to think of the the type of the one he was in now Utopia yes yes and um, now I I had no idea that um, the master was returning in that story. Mm. And when Derek Jackie was playing that character, the uh, he was a professor or something, wasn't he? In it? Professor, and, uh, was it Yanis? You are not alone. Oh, Yana, Professor Yana. Yana. Oh, that's it. You that's are not it. alone. Yes, I mean, lovely, wonderful Derek, Derek Jacobi being poor old man and he's struggling. Mm. And when he turned... Oh. And be, it, oh, did you I get that? I agree thing? with you. He made a career out of that, didn't he? Being oh, the unsuspected he baddie. Yes. In the films. He, did. he did it in Branagh's Dead Again. Oh. To marvellous effect. And I've actually seen him play Macbeth on stage. Have you? And, you you've and been he has honest. got wickedness in him. Oh. And then he's and he's such a gentle, softly spoken man in reality. Yeah. And yet he can tap this 
inner wickedness yes. to earn a shilling. You know? <laughs> oh, oh, it is, it is chilling. Now, now that I mean, I would love to have seen him play um, the master fully in a, in a story, yes. but. You know, for for me, you know, it's um, I I loved Anthony Ainley's Master, you know, throughout the. When I go back now, a lot of it was was, um, I don't know, um, pant, pantomimic. Is that the yes, uh, how it's said? Yeah, that is a word. Yes, yes, yeah. But he did redeem himself a lot with the final classic Doctor Who story, Survival. Indeed, he did, and at some point when it comes out on audio. We're going to be reviewing Survival. Of course we, we are. Be, course. Won't we? And then we yep. can revisit Anthony Ainley's yes. Master. I mean, the terms I always looked at it in, and this yeah. probably sounds as if I'm stretching it, but I always saw Roger Delgado's Master as the sort of the Sean Connery version. Oh. I always saw Anthony Ainley as Roger Moore's version. <laughs> That's very good, yeah. They, you know, we love them both. We love them yeah. both for different reasons. Yes. And trying to yeah. separate them is almost as difficult as choosing your favourite child. Yeah. But we love them yes. both. We love yeah. the sort of knowing, well, I don't know, the knowing villainy of both, I suppose, of both of them, but particularly um, Anthony Ainley would have been on a hiding to nothing if he yeah. just tried to mimic Roger Delgado's performance in much the same oh. way as Roger Moore would have been on a hiding to nothing had he tried to mimic Sean Connery's performance. Yeah. So both actors had to find something different in the same character, which should basically survive multiple interpretations, yes. as, as is yeah. the case in both sort of franchises, for want of a better word. So, That's yes, really... I'm, I'm pleased to hear that you do enjoy Anthony Amy's Master. Oh, absolutely, yes, I do, I do, I... I, I remember loving him at the time, you know, in, in, with Peter Davison particularly, I, I did like him a lot. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, there's, um, that's an interesting one, which perhaps we'll tackle on uh, when we come across that uh, survival story. Oh, perhaps we'll, we'll have a good... We'll. Yeah, we'll do that one. So we've got so far into this episode that we've got to um, the, the revealing of Missy, which I think we already said... Um, David, you know, I, I think, am I right in saying you said in one of our earlier reviews that if this book turns out to be just Missy, it's going to be hugely disappointing. Did yes. You? Yeah, yeah. I did so, say that and I stand by it. I, well, I don't blame you. <laughs> I don't blame it's, I, oh, it was a bit of a disappointment, wasn't it? It's, well, I, I'm, it's a bit of a disappointment that that's what it was but I'm not at all disappointed by having her in the story yeah. of course but but yeah so what did you think then do you know one thing which struck me um you talked about fake they, they talk about fake news central don't they when they when they get into the um the hub right. I suppose it's called now you mentioned that earlier so what what, what are your thoughts on that with because again this is one of these big ideas that Moffat has got how well do you think he's managed to um, play it out in this story? Well, I, I think it comes back to what I said before, because at some point in this story, we realise that the monks, who we've been told are all powerful and have power... I mean, what? what how do they exercise their power? They dress everyone... Do they dress everyone in blue or something? So that was 
a good use of supreme power for a start. (laughs) And they sort of horribly execute the odd dissenter. But they don't strike me as anything special in villainy terms. No. Do they? And um, what do they do? What do they want? Well, I I I don't know. But then you discover that they've that whole business of their power being passed through a genetic line so you have to have a descendant of the original host and you have to take that link out in order to defeat them well that is seem well hang on no that seems to me to be a recipe for disaster if you want to hang on to power you should surely spread your power base as widely as you can, not have yeah. it dependent on one strain of one family at one time. No wonder they've been thrown out of countless civilizations before now. Yeah, yeah. It was just silly. That, yeah, that's that's all. That's um, uh, you know, well, that's what happens with royal families. Well, that's yes, they, they, yeah. yes, they're they're either usurped or die out naturally, and a new monarch is adopted. Yeah. I guess. Or, or, I'm not or cackled in, in many <laughs> cases, which is, uh, is, is... You can tell I'm not an expert on royalty. <laughs> you know, no, I, I, well, no, I, I, I'm not. It just uh, struck me that um, I was watching a QI recently and um, it said about, you know, of course, that the um, the bloodline of the whole European um, monarchies is um, contaminated with... Um, What's the thing that you can't stop bleeding? What's that oh, disease? Oh, hemophilia. Hemophilia, and um, they 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 went through, and apparently before Queen Victoria, it was not in the the bloodlines of the royal families of, mm. of Western Europe, and so they said the conclusion must be that Queen Victoria or her mother, I think they said there, must have been cuckolded because you know it doesn't you don't spontaneously get haemophilia you know in, in a bloodline like that you know right. it's uh, yeah it's quite quite an interesting uh, <laughs> anyway that's something for another I, yes we can we can have a word about queen victoria when we come to review the next episode the the uh, empress of mars it's called oh, isn't it oh yes we're, we're going to victorian times so we'll have oh. another word about her at that stage. Right, we'll do that, yeah, we'll do that. Well, I mustn't be allowed to, because I've noticed that I, I can sort of diversify the, the conversation if I'm allowed to, so keep me on track, David. So. I'll try. <laughs> well, I mean, pulling you back to this story very firmly, I'm, I'm just going to make a statement here and see if you agree. And mm-hmm. this is my summary of this episode. And I have said in my notes... This was by far the lowest point of the season so far. And I simply cannot believe that it was penned by the same hand that wrote School Reunion, A Town Called Mercy, or The Superlative Under the Lake Before the Flood. Oh, gosh. Could the requirement to round off Stephen Moffat's incredibly ill-disciplined opener be to blame for Toby Whithouse's spectacular failure to deliver. What do you think of that statement? Well, um, I think your feelings are coming across um, very succinctly and and powerfully in that, I think. Um, Yeah, 
You're, you're absolutely right. Toby Whithouse, you know, does not strike me as the sort of person who would write this story. And as you say, he must have been reined in, stuck into this this um, pattern and shape which he must fulfil, which for, as a creative process isn't an easy thing to overcome at all, is it? No. And, and I mean, though the stories you mentioned there, I mean, School Reunion, You've got all this incredible emotion and genuine, I mean, that's in there, coupled with action-adventure. Town Called Mercy, again, you have that. And Under the Lake, Before the Flood. Oh, yeah, he's not... It, it's, it's so sad, isn't it? This is Wonderful stuff. And, of course, in the Under the Lake, Before the Flood, you had an actual proper cliffhanger between those episodes. Whereas here... Yeah. At yeah. the end of the Pyramid episode, we had Old oh, Bill, What Have You Done? Cut to the titles. That was the cliffhanger. The time before yeah. that, we had the Doctor Wake Up. That was the cliffhanger. So even the cliffhangers were a bit of a letdown yes. in this three-parter. Yeah. You know, we've yeah. had a three-parter. We had the two Doctors run over this yeah. length of time. And whilst it wasn't faultless, it yeah. at least made a bit of sense. Yeah, yeah, well, that's a very interesting one, actually, the two doctors, um, because it's one of those ones, we, 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 we'll have to look at this one for our, for our target ones, because the, the target novel, the actual one by Robert Holmes, mm-hmm. is wonderful, I was so taken with it, it's, mm-hmm. it's fabulously done, but the actual TV recorded version is, um, it's butchered. It's really butchered right. you know, compared to what's in it. Well, you know? yeah. butchery is one of the themes in it, so that's probably it, it, wholly in keeping. It absolutely is one of the, the themes of the yes, yes. Yeah. So it's, uh, but we, I mustn't wander off. No, no, that, no. We but, must, we must yeah. come to that because we do need to score the lay of the land, the lie of the land. Well, what could are your I, instincts? Well, there, there is more than that. There is more in this that I like than in the previous one. The the, the pyramid one, um, as we've just discussed, you know, there are the the the, the laboratory scenes, mm-hmm. which um, pretty much is all that, you know, we both agree on. We enjoyed. Whereas I've got here a couple of things. Maybe if I just could I just say Murray Gold's music in this one. He had there's a section there where he's he's doing a motif of the that Gallifrey. This is Gallifrey, our home theme tune, which he did many, many years ago. Right. And that was beautiful in here. It was beautifully done. And it wasn't in your face. It was in the background. And mm. we don't often mention Murray Gold's music no. much. And I think um, because he's become much more subtle and in the background, I think, with Capaldi's Doctor. Mm. But I have to say that it struck me as being quite beautiful, that music there. Also, something which I did love in there was um, that repetition. You know, you were talking to you about the propaganda and all this, the fake news and them trying to get people to believe in things which weren't true. Mm. And um, it struck me, the the, um, the the motif, is it, that they kept um, saying was um, the, uh, the monks are not our friends when they were trying to overthrow them. You know that section in there? Yeah. And I really like because it struck me that, and this is a, this is a long shot now, but it was very much like there is no such thing as macra. 
There is no such thing as Makra. Oh, Do you yes, think yes, yes. Do you the remember? mantra. The mantra. Yes, the mantra. Yes, the, the fake That's news. Yes. It's news. almost as if you yeah. you tell people almost the reverse of the truth. Yes. You tell them true. that you're strong and stable and you're not. <laughs> you know, tell them the diametric opposite of reality. Well, this is that's brilliant see, observation. David, br well, this is it, you see, David. This is it. Now, when you you mentioned to me earlier, you know, about um, um, Stephen Moffat's ideas being too big to put on here, and you're mentioning all the themes that are coming up here. The problem is, there's a lot of really good concepts and ideas being pushed in here. Mm. And it's, it does make me think. The problem is the story is rubbish. That, that's what. But um, all that. But I love that. Um, and I also very much. There was one uh, couplet, if you like, you know, exchange of lines, um, which I thought was excellent. Which is coming right at the end when the doctor and Bill are down, and that when um, he says, "Does she? Does she not say to him?" I don't want our last conversation to be like this. And yes. he yes. saying, no, it's, it's, um, I don't want this to be our last conversation. Is that because is that what Bill you... thinks she's going to die? Yes. Bill yeah. truly believes she has to be killed by the doctor's hand. Yeah. I yeah, remember that's... it. I do remember yeah. it. That was a nice, that was a nice bit of dialogue, isn't it? Mm. And, and also finally, this is my, my final say on it. Um, right at the end, when she's talking about, you know, humanity, because he, he says to her, he gives her the little lecture and saying, I gave you an essay to write on this. I warned you about this. Dictators, people who will lie to you and trick you, you need to be able to understand yourself. That's the gist of what he was saying. And he, she turns around and says, oh, well, we've forgotten. You know, isn't that part of our charm? And he says, no, it's really quite annoying, he said. And I thought... That's great, isn't it? That's mm. you see now. I don't know who wrote those lines, but they're good. I know. I know that. And what, all I can say is, with the other two episodes, there there are no standout lines. There are no standout scenes. Mm. There, there, there's not even really a standout concept, is there? No. We, we. I mean, we we've we've been treading water. I feel, David, and trying to sort of find what's going on in these stories where whereas I feel we've we've had some some fat to chew on for the last one if that if that makes sense. Mm. It, you know, it's so you, you can tell I'm headed to you see, if you hadn't mentioned some of those concepts and some of those strengths coming through, I was uh, going to give this story a very low mark. But I because you've shown me some light in these about four or five different things which have made me go oh, that's that's clever it's bumped my score up i've changed it now <laughs> come on Do let's you... have a big reveal right i'm going to give this one and it's only based on those things i've just mentioned and the wonderful missy having a lovely little section in it i'm gonna i'm gonna pull it up to oh i don't know if i should i'm gonna say a five a five. Five out of ten. There's a wonderful symmetry there, because now we've got three, four, and five. Oh. Giving, giving the Monk trilogy, <laughs> uh, what would that give it? Twelve out of thirty. Twelve out of thirty. <laughs> and because I'm in an extremely generous mood tonight, 
Yes, I'm going yes. to make a terrible, terrible confession here. Oh. Because it made the maths easy, yeah. from anything else. I really felt when I first watched this, it yeah. merited only two out of ten. Really? Yes. Two out of ten? Oh, my goodness. Yes, which would have given right. us an average score of three out of ten overall. But because you have melted my hardened heart with your <laughs> words and made right. me reconsider those lovely touches, right. exceptionally, I am prepared to offer it and to match your five out of ten. No, really? Yes, you oh. taught me round. Oh, that's fabulous, David. I mean, I have to be honest, I... I've got my mark written down here and I was going to give it a three at the beginning. <laughs> I must, I've got it written on my sheet of paper. Underneath that last line, I've got three out of ten. But, yeah, the more the more we've talked about, we seem to be more engaged about this story mm. than the other two. Mm. And I, I think, mm. yeah, I mean, if it's done that and it's given us the pleasure of, you know, sort of analysing those concepts. And, and it's like you said at the beginning as well, you know, the... There are a lot of really interesting concepts that like you mentioned, the fake news and all these things which are going up at the moment, the terrorism and, yeah, it's mm. quite, it is very topical, mm. isn't it? Yeah. Well, yes, I mean, we're not going to say that the Monk trilogy will go down in history as a classic. I know some people no. have seen it as such, but I really? like to think that, that, is, that is sort of, I yeah. don't know, the, the Emperor's New Clothes effect. Whereas if oh, you don't oh. get it, you're in some way not in with the in crowd. Uh, we've, yeah. we've, as I say, we've managed to give it a massive twelve out of thirty points here. Yeah. And I have to say, I do prefer those simple, punchy stories. Yes. Over these convoluted cinematic outings. Yeah, me too. And me I think, too. I think one of the great sadnesses of having three. Let's face it, what we've considered to be below par episodes on the trot is you're actually yeah. talking about a quarter of Peter Capaldi's last season. Oh, my goodness. So to throw away a quarter of his final season oh, seems to me that... absolute folly. Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. Mm. Um, and, it, and it's a strange, um, because we, we had all these standalone stories. Re I know there's been the arc of what was in the cellar and so forth, but really they've all been pretty much standalone going mm. through until we got to these, and I think they were the better for it. Oh, um, they, they have been excellent. Yeah, yeah. I, I think to round off our conversation on a positive note, yeah, we should yeah. perhaps look forward to the next episode... Now, I will say, I haven't seen it yet because we saw so far, but I'm going to watch So, David, whet my appetite. The, well, it's called The Empress of Mars by Mark Gattis. And it's about Victorian space conquest, the first Victorians on Mars. Wow. And it features the return of Doctor Who's arguably fifth most famous monster, the Ice Warriors. Oh, yay! And I'm sure all of our listeners have heard it. And I, I have to say, without wishing to impose my view on you, because you need to take a, an objective, have an objective watch of the material, yeah. but I have got a feeling in my water that when we come back with our yeah. next podcast, we are going to have fallen back in love with Doctor Who. 
Oh my gosh, you really, that is, you, you have wet my appetite now. That is, oh, I'm so, I mean, even mentioning Mark Atis and that first Victorian space travellers on Mark, oh, that's, I mean, that is, it just sounds so great, doesn't it? Boys' own adventure, exciting, different. I, I, I really love the sound of that already. And the Ice Warriors. Mm, the Ice Warriors. Yeah. I would say to you, go off and watch it, and I and everybody else look forward to hearing your opinions when we return. Oh, David, thank you very much. And um, well, we will do that very, very quickly indeed. We're going to be getting out a succession of reviews so that we can catch up ready for um, the final three episodes of this season. So, David. Thank you very much, and we'll be doing the review of The Empress of Mars within the next few days. Please tweet us at Doctor Who on Target, that's DR Who on Target, or email us at Doctor Who on Target at gmail.com. That's the end of this episode, and I would like to thank BBC Audio and Penguin Random House for kindly supplying us with preview copies and to Smerin's Antisocial Club for the use of their version of the Doctor Who theme tune. The biggest thank you goes to you, our listeners. <laughs>